Jesus goes to the synagogue at Capernaum, St. Mark tells us, and the people listening to him are astonished because he teaches as one having authority, not like the scribes do. What does that phrase mean, that he taught as one having authority? We might think it meant that Jesus was a really dynamic teacher, very charismatic and captivating, and I'm sure that was true. That's not what the phrase teaching with authority means. We might think it means that Jesus came into that synagogue strongly, forcefully, and laid down the law. And look, Jesus had no problem teaching and preaching hard truths. But again, that's not what this phrase, teaching with authority, means. It means that Jesus was claiming an authority greater than Moses, by the way he was teaching, an authority over the law, an authority that's only proper to the author of law, who is God himself. He's claiming the authority of God. Now, Mark doesn't tell us what exactly Jesus was talking about, but we can make a pretty good guess based on how he preaches elsewhere. For instance, the Sermon on the Mount. He says this at one point in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone that looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What did Jesus do there? He took the sixth commandment, one of the Ten Commandments, that God himself gave to Moses. And he fulfills it. He expands it. He develops it further. He says, now it's not enough to just externally obey this commandment, to externally not commit adultery. You cannot do it interiorly either. Only God has the authority to develop or expand a commandment like that. Moses didn't have the authority to do that. And of, and of course, you know, Jesus is true God and true man. And so he possesses all power and authority in heaven and on earth, right? He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. But it had to sound crazy in that synagogue at Capernaum. Because yes, Jesus is true God and true man, but his divinity is veiled. And the people sitting there in the synagogue would have seen a man in his 30s claiming divine authority, claiming an authority greater than Moses, an authority, the authority of God. Must have looked crazy. So how do they know he wasn't a crazy person? Well, very often when, when Jesus makes a claim like this, he follows it up with a supernatural sign, a miracle that shows that he is, uh, that he is who he says he is that he has this divine authority, a display of his divine authority. In this case, it's an exorcism. Somebody manifests who's possessed by a demon, and Jesus doesn't have to invoke another name, doesn't have to invoke anybody. He simply says, get out, and even the evil spirits obey his commands because all creatures are subject to him. And in doing this, he displays a power in his word that only God has. Right? God's word has a creative power. He speaks and it happens. At the beginning of time, he said, let there be light, and there was light. Jesus displays this power over and over throughout the Gospels. You know, paralyzed man, he says, rise, pick up your mat, and walk. Paralyzed man, by his own power, gets up, picks up his mat, walks away. On the Sea of Galilee, in the middle of a storm, winds and waves buffeting the boat, he says, be quiet. He rebukes the storm. And the storm dies down. 
simply speaks the word and it happens. And here he simply speaks the word and this demon uh, is cast out, right? He says to Lazarus, dead and in the tomb four days, Lazarus come out and a dead man comes back to life and walks out still wearing his burial cloths. God's word is authoritative. God's word has power. And really the message of our readings as a whole is that we need to listen to God's authoritative and powerful word, right? First reading, Moses warns people to listen to the authoritative word of God as it would be spoken of by the Messiah, by Christ. And in the psalm, we get that line, if today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. We need to listen to the authoritative and powerful word of God. And a skeptic might say, why? Why, other than these warnings by Moses, should we listen to the word of God? There's a few reasons. One, God's word is true. God is he who cannot deceive nor be deceived. And, and he reveals those truths necessary for salvation. Truths about the purpose of life, about human nature, who we are, why we're here. What is good, what is evil, how we ought to live. And then, of course, the very purpose of our life, our happiness, the happiness that we all seek, is tied up with knowing and loving God. We can't love God if we don't know him. We can't know him if we won't listen to his word. So how do we do that? We do that in the church that he founded. Now, some people might bristle at that and say, look, I love Jesus. I don't, I don't like the church. I don't need the church to follow Jesus. There are people who think that. That idea contradicts the very words of Jesus himself because he tells us that he and his church are one. Christ and his church are one and united. On Thursday, we celebrated the conversion of St. Paul. Paul, who persecuted the church vigorously before his conversion. Paul also went by the name Saul, and as he's on the road to Damascus going to bring back Christians in chains, Jesus appears to him. Now remember, at this point, Jesus has died, risen from the grave, and ascended into heaven. And Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He doesn't say, why are you persecuting my church? He doesn't say, why are you persecuting my people, my followers? Why are you persecuting me? Because Christ and his church are one. And it's in his church that Christ gives this authority to the apostles, the first bishops, with Peter as the first head. He says to him, he who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. He says, full authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations. Teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. He who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. And so in listening and learning to the church's teaching, we're listening to the voice of Christ. On a more local level, when we come to Mass, we are listening to that authoritative word of God. When the scriptures are proclaimed, Christ speaks to his people. And then remember, God's word has power. Right? Christ said, you know, come out. The demon came out. He said, be healed. Stand up and pick up your mat and go. And the paralyzed man did so. And then on the night before he was betrayed, he said, this is my body. This is my blood with bread and wine. And it happened. Bread and wine became his body in blood. Under the, but the appearance of bread and wine remained the same. And he gives that power to his apostles. And so that happens at the Mass. It is Christ himself who transforms the Eucharist from 
mere bread and wine into his really, truly, and substantially body, blood, soul, and divinity. It is in the sacraments that this powerful word of Christ impacts us and sanctifies us and forgives our sins and helps us to grow in holiness. And then, of course, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention how our Catholic schools are tied into this. This We begin Catholic Schools Week um, today or last night. And our Catholic schools are definitely a way that we continue, the Church continues her mandate uh, to teach with Christ's wisdom and power. You know, the reason we have Catholic schools is simple. Uh, They're the means by which a new generation of disciples are formed in the faith and in all the learning and skills necessary so that they can become the saints God created them to be. And here's the deal. Education is never philosophically neutral, right? There's going to be a worldview behind education. Catholicism is much more than a philosophy or a worldview, but we definitely want to pass on the worldview of the faith to our children. We want them to know that God loves them, that God made them, that he made them for something far greater than we can imagine, to be saints. He made us for holiness. And so, yes, we want them, and and I believe we do give them a great education, right? We want them to be prepared for high school, and they are. We want them to be prepared to go to college, and by and large, they are, and and to succeed beyond that. But our ultimate goal um, is to prepare them one day to stand before Jesus Christ whenever their life comes to an end, and to hear Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's joy. We're blessed here at Modern Day. We have a very good school, incredible families and students, very dedicated teachers and administrators. This week of Catholic schools, please pray for our school, pray for our parish, that we can continue this mission Jesus entrusted to the apostles to proclaim his authoritative word to every nation, to, to spread it far and wide, Pray that we can help our students and parishioners become the saints God created us to be.